1: Hey everyone! Welcome to another episode of the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I'm Anthony Kazenza and I am joined by John Red Eye Flight Sheeran, uh, fresh off of his trip from uh, New York, the Big Apple. Um, spent a few days out there. John, how, how you doing, man? Are you uh, you got in early this morning? But how's how's everything going?
2: So yeah, I was in New York over the weekend. I went to the Big Apple. I got was a stupid hat, but <laughs> uh, no, it was fun. Um, it was, it's it's bigger, I guess, than I thought because it doesn't look like it's seven miles Manhattan on the map, but it really is, and it takes a while to get around. But um, yeah, I, I had a lot of fun. And unfortunately, due to the unfortunate weather that's been going on over over the Midwest specifically, um, we had a Eleven hour delay from last night, so I took we took this six o'clock a.m. flight this morning. I've been up since uh, fourteen hours of, or sixteen hours at the time of this recording. But um, uh, um, j- j- just before we get get started, though, I know we have a lot of listeners in obviously the Cincinnati area, but also not only just Kentucky, like our friend uh, friend of the show John is, but also in Dayton. And Dayton had a lot of damage from. Uh, some tornadoes that happened while I was gone and just looking at some of the images in the video I, I have a couple friends who live in Dayton and fortunately they were alright and didn't receive any damage but that's a lot of I mean it, 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 you see that a lot around the country specifically in the Midwest but never really reaches Ohio unless it's a rare occasion but uh, so just thoughts and prayers to those who were affected from the, from the tornadoes in Dayton and even in Kansas City I heard they had a, had a big one too so it was unfortunate that our flight got delayed but obviously people are going through a lot worse than that. So thoughts and prayers to them.
1: Yeah. I, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, I mean, I haven't heard from him yet, but our, our old friend and uh, semi co-host Scott Schultz, kind of is in, I think the Dayton ish area. Um, so, you know, I hope he's okay. I hope everyone else is, is doing okay. You know, I want to say this, that if you are, I mean, we've got listeners literally all over the world that have gotten in touch with us over the years that we've done this show, but if you are in the Ohio area and we're affected by a tornado or know someone that's affected by a tornado and um, you know, you have some sort of relief effort or um, donation effort that you'd like us to share, we'd be happy to do that. Um, so, you know, we've, some of you have already supported a charity that I started on the side. So, you know, if I can do anything to help, I mean, I'm, I'm thousands of miles away here, but uh, if we can do anything to help you, your family, your friends, anybody um, that were affected by that, please let us know. We'd like to, uh, we'd like to share that, um, whether it's a GoFundMe or, or what have you, but yeah, the, the, thanks for bringing that up, John. And I'm glad you had a good trip on a, on a lighter note. And also on a, on a little bit of a lighter note, we, we teased this last week, but we're going to try it this week. We've already got some questions lined up um, for a listener question segment. The time, I, I think we're going to do it Friday afternoon, uh, Eastern time. So uh, John and I will kind of discuss what time works best. We probably should have done that before the show. John, that's my fault. But um, I, I, my thinking is that it'll probably be a uh, mid to late afternoon, Eastern type of time, if that works for John. Um, And it'll probably be a short, you know, 20 minute, what we usually spend on the listener questions, 20 minutes, maybe even a little more, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. So we're going to take the calls, the texts, the emails, the tweets. Uh, We're going to take that um, on that segment. We're not, we're not going to do it tonight. So we're going to try that out see how it goes. We've already got um, a few that were sent our way. So we're excited about that. Um, you know, just a little switch up so that way this this main show is a little bit more digestible. You have the listener questions and basically a little episode dedicated for the listeners because we want to keep that going. So, um, you know, you can hit us up on the OBI line, at 949-542-6241. We'll be taking texts, you know, throughout the week and everything. So you can always leave those. Um, you can call during that live broadcast. It'll be very similar to what we do with the main show, live broadcast. Do it through YouTube um and dot jungle.com, I believe. And then we'll have all of the audio and everything on, on our channel. So uh, still get in touch with us. You know, you can you can send us an email, theobinsider at gmail.com. You can get in touch with us on Twitter at Bengals OBI or if you want to get in touch with John directly at John underscore underscore Sharon. Um, and, and send us a question. We wanna we wanna still continue that. Uh, you know, you guys drive this show. But uh, we've just kind of felt that the main show is going a little too long, Um, you know, so we want to kind of keep this a little bit more manageable and then do a specific, basically a specific small show um, to the listeners dedicated to you so you still get your voice heard, you still have your questions answered. Um, So we want to keep that going and we appreciate the feedback that we've already received in terms of questions and all of that um, going forward. So again, it'll be this Friday afternoon. The main show will continue to be on Wednesdays. Um, I don't know if Friday is going to be the designated day going forward for the listener questions, but Hey, we're trying it out this week. We're coming off a holiday weekend and we're, uh, we're getting our bearings. So stick with us, join us for that. It should be a lot of fun. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll kind of continue that going on. John, let's just kind of start with a little bit of news and notes this week. Um, it's, it's not a slow time, uh, in, in Bengals football, but it, it's more of a um, everybody, both on news coverage side and the team itself. It seems to be kind of finding the groove, getting back into their job, per se, you know, so to speak. And um, you know, OTAs uh, are continuing once again. You know, last week was more about oh wow, the the offensive line configuration and all of that. Um, I, I guess about the, the thing i want to talk about with with ota is there's more been more chatter this week john about basically the fun right this right. is fun. this is fun this is fun and and it's a complete 180 it sounds like from the previous regime in terms of how they're being taught and and how they're being um uh, you know there's they they play almost game uh you know you talk about the x's and o's stuff i think cj uzama said something to the effect of you know there's almost like a game of thrones theme to their deal and it's almost like a quiz show type of thing um and that's awesome you know freshen it up liven it up after 16 years of the previous regime you know you want to keep things fresh my thing is uh, how how sustainable is that um and i go back I remember when Dick LeBeau was the the head coach of this football team, and he would come out and kind of in training camp, he he'd do some funny things. I think I think a couple of times he used to dress up as Elvis uh, for the team and kind of dance around in front, you know, trying to liven it up, keep it fresh, all that kind of stuff. I, I now, I, I guess I just, I don't know. Maybe it's the cynic in me, but I, I I guess I'm kind of going well. This may work for a year or two, but does this kind of get you know? It, is the accountability still there? Is is all of that still going to be there? Year two, year three, in the middle of all of this, um, and, and CJ Uzama called it fun a bunch of times. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. For now, I'm cool with it. I think it's I think it's cool, but um, you know, uh, that works kind of for the younger guys. I just I, I don't know. I, I, I'm I'm torn a little bit on it.
2: Yeah, so the Bengals aren't a winning franchise, but they are in kind of a honeymoon phase. Mm-hmm. Is, it's just it's just natural to be to be happy that it's something refreshing, something new, it's something exciting that you're starting a new journey. And for a lot of these players, it is a, a fresh new start and a new journey for them because they're under new leadership, it, under hopefully new direction. So it's all fun and games, and when you're winning, and that Bengals haven't won anything yet. There's are still only 19 games won in the past three years, but. Um, in the post Marvin Lewis era, I guess th- things have been, you know, pr- progressed t- towards this point. And, it, and I, I would prefer it to be this way than to just be miserable because, you know, we, we've uh, things have definitely gotten stale over the past couple of years when things haven't been working out specifically even before that, when there was still the frustration about getting to the playoffs and not, and not doing anything there. So this is kind of what we wanted, right? It was something different than Marvin and there's a complete 180 from, you know, the approach to practices and just the, just the overall vibe and the, and the culture of, of set practices and the, and just the vibe of the locker room and all that stuff. So uh, compared to the alternative where everyone's just kind of gloom and doing st- sticks to their business and it's like a strict academy, I would definitely prefer the guys to have fun because he, I mean, he, football players, but they're, they're human beings too, and they deserve to have an enjoyable work environment. And, and if, th- if this is something that's so drastically different from the days of the, at least the later Marvin Lewis regime, you can kind of tell why players are so welcome to the change and welcome to the, the openness and just the overall easiness of the the environment and the culture and and generates more happiness out of it. So, but again, like, this is all fun while everything's, you know, brand new and, you know, there's still a lot to prove with them. If, if things get a little more tough then I would imagine players aren't going to have as much fun because they're losing, but this is still May. And it's still the first off season for a new head coach. So it's, it's all, it's all smiles from here. And I'm, I have no qualms with that, especially considering what the alternative could be. And we've seen what the alternative has been for at least the better part of the last decade when things have been exa- exactly been going right.
1: Yeah. I, I, Laurel, uh, Laurel failure Fowler of Dayton Daily News kind of relayed this uh, quote, I keep saying fun, but it has been fun. Uzama said after the fourth practice of organized team activities, it's been an enjoyable OTA so far. He continued on saying, I think the way that they are teaching us is good. We're going up on the board. We're doing walkthroughs where he's challenging us, meaning Zach Taylor, challenging us as players in front of the offense to go up and write out everything, not just what you have, uh, have to do on the play, but everything. So we have a little fun with it. We have a little competition. Um, so, uh, I mean, you, you kind of seesaw a little bit on this where you, you say, well, this is where, you know, the, the, the league is, is not so much of the um, the Bill Cowher ilk, right? The grab the face mask, yell the guy on the sideline, really go after him. It's more of a, I guess, cerebral game. It's more of a, uh, you know, matchups, X's and O's. Know what you're doing. um, Analytics, formation heavy, analytics. Yeah, Um, I I think Bill Belichick is a great blend of that old school tough guy coach, but also the guy that embraces all of that stuff. And I think that's why the the Patriots continue to be the pre, you know, the preeminent franchise in the the NFL. But I I guess I just, you know, we got to enjoy it now. We got to enjoy this right now. But, you know, I think back, I mean, I I mentioned Dick LeBeau. That was, you know, God, 20 years ago. Um, I, I can think back as recent as Chip Kelly. Right. Everybody loved in that first year under Chip Kelly, everybody loved what they were doing. And the offense was a hell of a lot of fun and everybody was having a great time and they were going to run, you know, 60 plays on offense. You know, all this kind of stuff. Right. Um, I I don't I, I it seems as if Zach Taylor maybe has a little bit more of an even keel demeanor than a Chip Kelly. But it's it's scenarios like that where how quickly is this going to dissipate? we're hearing a lot of positive things from OTAs and I I don't want to pour the cold bucket of water on it, but I, I, I'm just, I'm just wondering about the sustainability of it. Um, that, that's, that's kind of where I'm at with it. And like you said, John, if the, you know what hits the fan and this, they start losing, this team doesn't get off to that three and one, four and one start that everybody hopes that they do. What's the attitude gonna be then? Right. And, and is this going to be like, oh my, what did we get ourselves into with, <laughs> with this hire?
2: And that was definitely, I think, the risk with it because he was such an unknown and, and you mentioned the Patriots and how they can sustain success. You talk about is this sustainable? It's sustainable in New England because Belichick has already established that culture and, and that that working environment and that, that that company MO, if you will, and he's constantly bringing in, you know, assistance under, under him that can continue um relaying that that mindset and that culture throughout the entire building so it's belichick kind of micromanaging you know everyone doing their jobs and whatnot but it's it's the guys who under him who understand the message that he's trying to convey and it's worked for so so long and that's why everything has been able to be sustainable up there and i think that's exactly what zach taylor's trying to do he's trying to put his own spin on it and i think that's extremely welcome in, in this scenario for what he's getting himself into because he knows that he can't be anything like the, the head coach that he's replaced. That's the whole reason why Zach Taylor is here in the first place. He, he's here to be different. He's here to bring a fresh change. And I think it's, it's wonderful that the players are, are reciprocating positive feelings off of that and not, you know, a mindset where they want to go back to what what it used to be because it was comfortable for them. It, the, the, the players need to be uncomfortable, and they need to be uncomfortable when the situation is right. But at this time, when you're still getting your feet wet, when you're still finding out who is you know going to be the leaders of this team, who's going to end up being on the fifty three, who's going to be the active forty six, it, it's nice to have a nice open, you know, not, not necessarily relaxing, but just a yeah, yeah. I, I guess you could point it as relaxing, you know, a, a nice open, you know entertaining environment where, where players can be themselves and there, there's a coach that relates more to them because it's actually I was 35 years old. He, he, he's basically as old as Clark Harris, the oldest player on the team. So there's that l- layer of, there's that dimension of relatability with all these other players. Cause the average age of the team is I think only 25 and a half, 26 years old. It's one of the youngest in the NFL. So I think that factor definitely helps with that and is enhancing this, this environment that we're seeing stem from OTA. So I, I think it's still a positive, but like you said, if, if things don't go right, we're, we're going to have to see how, how things evolve and how things change. And I don't think he should change necessarily too much. You just got to adapt to to what needs to be changed and hopefully the culture that he's established maintains through that and they can kind of roll with the punches instead of, you know, looking back and saying, well, everything's destroyed.
1: Right. So I think kind of, if we want to just really simplify this whole thing, I think we can say, you know, it, it sounds like, and it seems like, especially with their performances in prime time, it seems like under Marvin Lewis guys played tight. Yes. Right? Guys played tight and that, and um, that there's, there's a fine line to walk there because, Usually, if you're if you're tight, you're dialed into what you're doing. But also, there are times where you're too dialed into what you're doing, you're doing, and then you make stupid mistakes, and we've we've it's mistakes you don't normally make, and we've seen that in, in prime time under Marvin Lewis. The, you know, the other side, if it is kind of more a little more kickback, and hey, know what you're doing, but I'm not going to jump down your throat, that sort of thing. Let's study this a different way. That can be especially for the guys that were on the team last year, that can be a very refreshing approach, but, you know, also uh, sometimes if a team is not mature enough, um, the the lack of accountability or, or maybe a thought of, oh, um, I'm not going to get screamed at if something goes wrong here. Um, I, I, you know, does that affect results? I don't know. For now, like you said, though, John, I think I think we should roll with it. But
2: right, and, and the word I was looking for when when about this is loose. Look like at like the opposite of tight, and it, you can you can sense that players were tense in those certain situations. Because it wasn't necessarily because they were worried about losing their job, because job security was obviously a pertinent factor in the Marvin Lewis era, especially with some veterans that stayed here a little too long. But it was just, I guess, it, it was just uncomfortability with, with the competence of, of those who were leading them, and I think that probably. We've we probably got the sense that that's, that was some that was what some of the players had been feeling towards the end of the Lewis era. So it, w- it wasn't necessarily you know worriedness that you know Big Brother's watching over me and I have to perform so I'm going to lose my job, which is natural in every anywhere in the NFL. But with the Bengals, when they preach continuity so much, it was like okay, you know uh, I'm not I'm not comfortable. I, I, I guess with what's going on, but I know I'm not going to lose my job if I if I don't perform necessarily well. And that's obviously a bad combination. It can't be like that, Zach Taylor. He's got to have a much more positive approach with this. But also, if if, if things end up not going well, he's got to have a, a, a good solution to like to to fix it. I guess. Yeah. You know, it,
1: it, it, yeah, and you know, every every player responds to coaching different to different coaching styles differently, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I remember I was as a player, I didn't like the you know grab you by the shirt and and yell in your face type of guy. I was I was into more the encouragers and and you know coaches like that some people though they respond more to the the more militant approach it just kind of depends right um so yeah i mean a couple of comments in the live youtube chat terry oldiker says if the players are having fun that must mean they're learning more Okay. okay uh andrew greer says i feel the team's more upbeat with the new coaches yes and uh um Will Smith just kind of says, I I hope coach Taylor has some offensive packages with both geo and Joe Mixon on the field at the same time. I think a lot of people want that. So um, yeah, Uh, we last week, John, we talked about a specific big name free agent off the street that could be headed to Cincinnati and kind of like we expected (laughs) a little too good to be true. Um, Gerald McCoy uh, visited the Browns and visited the Ravens. The Bengals had expressed interest not really publicly, but through their various sources and, and, you know, the media found out they expressed that um, it would seem that is the, the price tag, maybe McCoy is commanding is uh, probably a little too high for the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, as of now, as of Wednesday, basically it would seem that it's a two horse race between uh and, it's awesome because it's in the teams in the AFC North, the Browns and the Ravens. Uh, the Browns still somehow have more cap space than the Cincinnati Bengals based on all the moves that they have made. Um, and the Ravens are a little bit less. Uh, but he seems destined to be heading to one of those teams as of this moment. What are your thoughts on that? Um
2: I think, you, I think also. You, I, think, blame him? I think
1: also. Yeah, I think
2: also the Panthers are. I think he's visiting the Panthers. I think later this week. Okay. So he's keeping. So I mean, he's just he's just playing the leverage game, and it, that might have been what he was doing with the Bengals. And you know, if he if he had both the Browns and the Ravens on his short list, mentioning the Bengals making that public information it would probably incentivize the Browns and the Ravens because they're, they're like, we're feeling the same way, right? We don't want McCoy to go to a division rival. And I'm, I'm sure the Browns Ravens didn't like hearing that the Bengals were interested in that. He also expressed mutual interest in that. So it's definitely a leverage game with McCoy. And I think also McCoy's replacement in Tampa Bay and in Dominican Sue, his official contract, I think was about nine to 10 million for just one year, which probably set the market for what McCoy was going to get. Cause he was cut from the Buccaneers about to earn like 13. So he wasn't going to get that. Obviously if Tampa Bay was going to pay him that, but he wasn't. But I think um, perhaps Bengals had a little bit um, higher expectations about that 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 uh, contract number being a little bit lower, probably like in the six or seven million range, which maybe the Bengals could afford. But if he hasn't accepted the deal by now, I don't think it's going to be anything less than probably what, what a Dominican Sue is going to get. And it, it might be for a starter's role and he probably wouldn't get that here uh, in, in Cincinnati with Geno Atkins still here. But I mean, it it is what it is. It wasn't likely in the first place. It was, it, but at the end of the day, I think it was just nice to have have that mutual interest go back and forth, where the Bengals were interested in bringing in a premier talent, even if he wouldn't be necessarily a starter, but he would still play significant snaps. And if McCoy's uh, thoughts and statements on the Bengals were, were genuine, then that that's cool too. But at the end of the day, like they're still, it's, it, I've always I've said it a million times with the Bengals, it's just baby steps, right? This is just the first baby step in just getting them. To back to normalization with the rest of the league, and you know, try try to learn from this. And I I, I guess we, I guess they were just kind of used in, in some sort of leverage game, which is which was expected, but still, eh, whatever.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, it's not devastating. No. Uh, uh, here, but my thing is aside one uh, one part of it is you know the Bengals yet again miss out on a premier free agent outside signing that could really. Improve their football team. So, if you look at how poor they were defensively last year, um, you would think, and and the defensive line was some of that. Um, you know, Geno Atkins still had, I think, ten sacks, but um, there were times where there were times where he disappeared. Um, there, and I think I think having a, a rotation up there, especially with a premier guy like a McCoy, um, you don't want to pay thirteen million dollars a year for a rotational player. But I mean, y- you're not cap strapped um your defense was deplorable statistically last year against the run and not much better against the pass. they were feast or famine when it came to getting after the quarterback Uh, you don't have to make every single free agency move every single big name free agency move but it would be nice if they occasionally did that (laughs) the guy who would really upgrade their team give the fan base a major boost and I don't think that the team would really need to do all that much in terms of still being able to retain some of their big free agents that they want, uh, upcoming free agents that they want to retain. The other facet that bothers me is the fact that he's going to two teams in the division who one team is coming off of an, a division title and just re, I think they just re-signed another interior defensive lineman who's, who's of pretty high quality. Um, and then the other one is everybody's is the NFL darling this year because they've made so many moves already. Um, so uh, I guess, and and then you're going to have to face the guy twice a year. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I guess I, I just, it just gets a little frustrating, the same old song and dance, even with this new coaching regime and these good feelings, it just seems like, oh boy. Okay. Well that, it was nice that they had interest, but it's just kind of like, well, it's, the same, the same thing we have seen and heard a lot.
2: Yeah, it, it's it only, it only really hurts because he's probably going to go to a division rival, and they're going to have to face him twice a year, like you said. Um, but at, at the end of the day, like this it, is this is May, and typically these these free agents will, will 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 end up going where the where more of the money is at, right? And I think Jonathan Hakins was like a comparable signing with the Raiders, like the last couple of years. He and I think he only. Ended up signing like in July or August, like one one of the years. I think it might have been 2017 where he's on the market for a long time, and his price naturally went down. But this is still, um, it, obviously it's on March where the market has recently reset. But he's still a premier talent, and those teams are going to have the cap space to pull this off. And it, at the end of the day, for the Bengals, I think it's just about value, where they're seeing a the guy who can play 400, 500 snaps. And you know th- their top salaries at, th- at this moment are in the sixteen to fourteen million range. So you're talking about making McCoy one of your top five or six, you know, most paid players. And he's that talented, and he can, pr- and, he can pr- and he can provide that va- value in a vacuum. But when you know the Bengals' um, uh, perspective on value and, and, and their their whole their whole view on it varies differently from from you and I and from the rest of the fan base. And that that hasn't really changed regardless about who's head coach. So. I I think it all boils down to that, and it definitely hurts a little bit more that he's going to that he's probably going to go to to a division rival and make them better, especially with the Ravens who are already stacked on the defensive line. So just adding McCoy for that price, it just it, it stings, and not only on the defensive line, but they've added talent all over that defense, all over the levels of that defense. Earl Thomas comes to mind with that. So that defense is going to be good if he goes there. And the Browns really just needed like a, a three technique for, to really fill out that defense because they're solo all, all over. So either defense would be improved and the Bengals would definitely be improved. But I think it's, this just comes down to value w- with that. And if the Bengals had no interest in paying McCoy or matching McCoy's salary to what the Browns or the Ravens can offer him, then this was just nothing more than just a leverage play
1: from him. Yep. And uh, as of as of Wednesday, he is not signed anywhere. Um and there might be other teams in the mix. Um, it just seems unlikely at this point that the Bengals would re-emerge as a front runner for his services. John, I did uh we did set out a tweet a poll um a while ago, uh basically asking what is the most important potential Bengals forthcoming move. Is it extending AJ Green, signing Gerald McCoy, or extending Tyler Boyd? pretty even results so far in the in the poll 33% say extending AJ Green 31% says sign Gerald McCoy and 36% says extend Tyler Boyd what do you have on that one That's that,
2: that's very interesting I've been I've been kind of like in my own spare time I've been looking at quarterback situations throughout the league and just just how I would rank like not just talent current talent but also just future implications and I think that same mindset and argument would go between Tyler Boyd and A.J. Green because right now A.J. Green is unquestionably the, the better receiver. He's the top ten receiver in the league no matter how you, how you would rank the other nine. And he's the best player on the Bengals' offense, if not the whole team. But he's 30, 31 years old. And his best days probably aren't done, but they're definitely numbered compared to the last time he signed uh, a contract beyond his rookie year. Now you have Boyd who's 24, 25 years old. He's entering the prime of his career. Um, he doesn't um, – bring as much to the table as an athlete or just as a receiver in general that green does, but you're you're looking at him being potentially a long-term piece to the team whereas green would probably play for one more big contract. And then you probably see the end of his prime. So I I think it's, I think it's fine to have both of equal importance because they kind of balance each each other out because green is the better receiver, but he has less of a future than potentially what Boyd does. Boyd's ascending, but he's just not at green's level. And I think that's definitely something that the front office is going to kind of play with it because I think the plan is to sign both of them. But if they had to pick one, I honestly don't know who I would pick in that situation because I think the front office loves green more than anything and would love to get him under, under a contract and be, have him be like their Larry Fitzgerald because I think that's kind of what green sees himself as. But in terms of what brings more value, like, Boyd is definitely intriguing and if he hits the open market it's going to be for a lot more than I think what the Bengals are going to offer him at the end of the summer so I I think it's definitely interesting to see both of them equal because I think both both of their factors kind of counter each other out for they're almost at equal level of playing field in terms of significance about who to sign
1: yeah I mean an argument could be made for each one of those uh, each one of those players. I mean AJ Green is valuable in a number a number of respects, but he's had injuries. Tyler Boyd, you mentioned maybe you know he's coming off a breakout year, but there there is a uh, there is a possibility that you know there could be a step back because you know last year was a bit of an anomaly with AJ Green out and and other situations. Tyler Eifert being out throughout most of the season. Or it could it could continue to progress under Zach Taylor in this offense. So that's, that's one. And then McCoy, to me, McCoy is a guy... I mean, it's not an absolutely necessary piece, but like I said, your defense was atrocious statistically last year. Um, you have the money for it, and uh, it's a win-now move. It excites the fan base, and you're taking away from your division rivals who also want them. So, I mean... All of that, you don't want to base what you do on on other teams necessarily, but if you're able to knock down your division rivals a peg by signing a quality player, I think you really look pretty hard at doing that. Um, interesting comment in the live YouTube chat from Captain Camerica uh, saying, if the Browns have McCoy, Sh- Sh- uh, Sheldon Richardson, Miles Garrett, and Olivier Vernon, we are done. Um, so that is that would be a very formidable Front to be sure, and the Bengals invested a lot on their offensive line, uh, including uh, this year in free agency and the draft. Um, so that will be very interesting to see if if that's where McCoy does go. How that's gonna how that matchup will play out twice a year with the Bengals and the Browns. This is the Orange and or Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran, fresh back from New York, New York, and uh, I'm Anthony because it's bringing you this show as we normally do. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, we're going to be doing a listener question mini show later this week. We're going to record it on Friday. So get us your listener questions. You can still call and leave us a message if you want to beforehand. You can send us a text at 949-542-6241. Uh, we may scour the live YouTube chat of this time of, of this show. And then obviously we'll be doing a live, live broadcast. So you can, you know, leave your questions there. Call in that day as well. You can send us an email at the at gmail.com, or you can tweet us at Bengals or at John underscore, underscore Sheeran on Twitter. Otherwise you can get this show on a number of platforms as you usually can. iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google play, Megaphone, YouTube, and Cincy Jungle. So get to us how you can, get in touch with us how you can, and uh, we look forward to bringing you uh, the same content and even more than we have in previous weeks, months, and, and years. This podcast has been around for years, if you can believe it, John. It's unbelievable. I wanted to bring this up, and this is a good segue for what we were talking about with Gerald McCoy. Recently, and and I don't like to. We used to kind of do a little bit of a segment here and there called Hater of the Week. Um, And it was usually a national media member that was, uh, you know, that was at a prominent platform that was hating on the Bengals, which seems to be a a fun pastime of a lot of media members. But I wanted to point this one out because I thought this was really interesting. And and so a lot of people we are connected to on Twitter ended up commenting on it. Evan Silva of Roto World. Recently tweeted out, genuine question, why do the Bengals not get more criticism for being an organization that proactively deprioritizes winning? And I guess I want to, you know, we've, we've talked about this and I don't want to beat a dead horse on this topic, but I think it's especially interesting to note because, you know, this has been such a year of transition And the Bengals basically said, we can't win under the previous regime. We think this new regime at some point, hopefully in the very near future, will get us back to winning ways. That has occurred this this offseason. But national perception is this could be a three-win team. This tweet from Evan Silva, same old Bengals, same old ownership, all of that. So I guess what I want to ask you, there's kind of a two-part question to this, um, are you buying or selling that comment by Evan Silva that the Bengals are proactively trying not to win or put a winning product on the field?
2: I respect the hell out of Evan Silva, the content that he puts out just in fantasy, but also just in covering all 32 teams is very difficult. And one of the problems is you don't really get a sense about not only just the team of every team's intricacies with, with, with the perception of their team, but also with the fan base. And if Evan Silva, you know, knew about Bengals Twitter as much as you and I, I, I think he would find out that there's a lot of criticism about them not being um, dedicated to winning or for as much as they should be. Because that's been something that you know Bengals Twitter and just you know football Twitter in general has been you know pounding them for the, over the past twenty something years because they are always competent and able to compete under Marvin Lewis, but in a, in a more broader sense and a more deeper sense that their their organizational mindset has always limited them from going into that next to that next level. So the Bengals have established themselves as a certain type of franchise, and I think the national media and just the national perception of that has been okay. They are who they are. They're not really relevant in, in terms of changing anytime soon. So they they just are who they are, and they're not worth you know constantly criticizing over and over again when you have 31 other teams to cover. But when it's just Bengals Twitter, you know, this is kind of all we talk about every year. If nothing else changes, then, you know, you, you should still get criticized for it. So I I do think that Silva has a point, whereas, you know, especially in the NFL where parodies is so is so prevalent as King, where teams can become good in a matter of a couple of years with some key moves, there should probably be more attention focused on the Bengals not necessarily doing that, but there's also, again, with the Bengals and baby steps, them firing Marvin Lewis, them hiring a new head coach, them taking on a whole new direction from football operations, for at least on the field in that sense. We don't know if anything has really changed in the front office. I think that at the same time should be viewed as a major stepping point for them because if we're going to play them as a team that you know always fails – or always, never looks to you know, progress and evolve, then this offseason at least has to be looked in some light as a positive when you're comparing all of that towards what they've actually done. So I think it kind of goes both ways, whereas, yeah, they deserve criticism for not being as dedicated to winning as they should be, especially in the salary cap era where it's increasing every year and they don't really increase their spending relative to the salary cap. But at the same time, you know, Bengals fans just want anything to improve with the franchise. And I think this off season has shown some steps in that regard. So yes, there should be criticism, but yes, the, the same that there should be um, praise coming from that, knowing who they are and what they've established themselves from the national perception, I guess.
1: I, you know, I, I agree with you on a lot of different fronts that you, you mentioned there. I mean, Evan Silva is um, one of the better large media guys out there. So, you know, I, uh, it was, it was actually quite, kind of surprising that he just mm-hmm. kind of randomly threw that out there. And I don't I don't know if that was in the wake of some of the McCoy that, news. Uh, that is the nature of Twitter, though. So what's ra- random thought. That is the nature of Twitter, though. Just random thoughts. Yeah, yeah. No <laughs> yeah, that's, that's very true. Um, and, and I guess where I want to go before I kind of share more thoughts of mine on this, but where I want to go w- with you next on this is, okay, so... You know, he's got a point. Uh, Silva has a point a little bit. The Bengals, you know, have shown some signs, haven't. So, I mean, I guess if you were to say that the lack of success or the way they are, you know, is it is it deliberate or is it, uh, is it just sheer ineptitude? Right. Um, uh, you know, because... I sit here, we've had Willie Anderson on the program, and Willie Anderson has, has said on the program that the difference with the Bengals pre-Marvin and post-Marvin. Now, the Bengals made a strategic move to hire Marvin Lewis um, because they thought he, you know, Super Bowl winning coach within the division, from within the division, and is a guy that um, could maybe bring some modern- modernity to the <laughs> team, and he did. Um, didn't It kind of took him to a level. And then they've now decided to move into a – they've made another decision, which is kind of, hey, let's keep up with the league trend or even kind of maybe even ahead of some other teams in terms of a league trend with getting a young head coach that's offensive-minded and going that route. Um, But I still sit here and I go, are some of these things deliberate, like the choosing of not paying money to Gerald McCoy to immediately improve your team? Or is that – simply well uh you know is that deliberate or is that i uh, you know just they they're not they're not uh, they're not apt at their positions i guess
2: it, it might be a little bit of both i i think they have a way of doing things and they're pretty stuck in their ways and that, that'll always be the case as, as long as mike brown is, is is not necessarily running things but still has his name on uh, under the president's label so yeah it's delivered because you know th- they have a they have a strict budget and that hasn't really changed no matter who the head coaches and they have a way of, of bringing in new talent and prioritizing through the draft and keeping that draft capital and not necessarily dipping too too far into free agency but as we've seen over the over the nfl the on the on-field product has evolved but also the way of acquiring talent the way of team building has evolved as well So I I think the Bengals are doing the good steps in terms of evolving on the field, but off the field, building that team, you know, building that roster in the way that other successful teams do that, that'll always be something that until it changes, it just never will. And we don't know if that's going to end up changing once Mike Brown is, is out of the picture for good, I guess. And when the, when the blackburns take over and that might not be something that, that might not be something that happens until a whole nother family is is running the show, a whole nother family with, with a lot more, um, uh, capital leeway, I guess, if you could say, because this, this is still a franchise that operates, you know, with, that, that generates very little revenue on its own outside of football operations, similar to the Packers. And we've, we've discussed that that uh, parallel uh, as you know, often as can be, but like with the Packers, you know, they had a, a GM that kind of worked with with, with with the way of a small market mindset. And, and we've seen them kind of deviate away from that. And then the Packers ended up being one of the bigger players in free agency in the last couple of years, even with a franchise quarterback in Aaron Rodgers. So we've seen other teams evolve and we've seen them get praised for it. So it's not impossible for that change to happen. It just really all depends on you know the people upstairs making the decisions. So I think it's both deliberate and also ineptitude because it's just lessons that they fail to learn over time. And until they do, then people like Evan Silva have every right to kind of criticize them in this way, shape, and form.
1: Yeah. I, you know, what's, what's interesting, John, you said the lessons they failed to learn that is part of the equation, but it's also lessons they learned that they can't move on from. And right. What I mean by that is in free agency, right? They Every time we're like, "Well, why didn't they sign this guy? Why can't they spend a little bit more money on an outside guy?" Well, it's Antoine Odom. Oh, it's Antonio O'Brien Oh, <laughs> uh, guys, that's that's like ten years ago.
2: It's operating out of fear. Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, uh, this that you don't want. I mean, yeah, you get burned, and you don't want to make the same mistakes again. I get that, but do a little more homework. Add more scouts. <laughs> And then you then you don't need to get every single big free agent, but then you bring in a, a top tier, a mid-tier, a couple of mid-tier free agents, and then, you know, you really round out your roster, and, you know, maybe you're not getting burned in the same way that you were when these things happen that you are just clinging to. And that's, that's the thing with me where, yeah, they've learned lessons, but... They, they also haven't learned lessons, like you said, but they've also learned lessons and can't get away from their mindset on it.
2: Right. I, that, I completely agree.
1: So, you know, I just think, you know, I, I, I think they're slowly being dragged into, and by they, I mean probably ownership in the Brown family. I think between Marvin Lewis and what he did, the, and what Duke Tobin is doing, and this higher, I think there's some slow it's this this franchise just moves a lot slower uh in terms of operations and changing their thought process and and how you know all of that. they just move a lot slower than other franchises um and that's just the way it is, like you said, I think it's going to be interesting to when Mike Brown is out of the picture if that's going to change and you know we've complained about a GM for a long time and you can say that Tobin's kind of the de facto GM. Okay. But still most teams have a GM and a guy who has Tobin's position, not a guy who <laughs> kind of, I mean, there's two different people in most organizations that would have that, but um, you know, it's, it's, it's just a little frustrating. And um, you know, a lot of things have to go, this is what they're betting on this year too. A lot of things have to go right in terms of health, Um, increased play by people and at some point maybe lucking into a generational talent at quarterback to be able to move beyond some of the barriers that are put in place by this team. So um, anyway, you know, we we don't want to be overly negative. It sounds like we're being kind of negative this episode. I don't mean to be. Um, It was just an interesting tweet put out there by Evan Silva of Roto world about the Bengals and um, you know, a little bit of a, a dose of reality, I guess, As uh, after all of these positive vibes coming from OTAs. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bangles podcast. He's John and I'm Anthony Cazenza. We'll be doing a mini show of listener questions later this week. So join us for that and submit yours how you can. You can also get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Google Play, on the Megaphone platform. It's also on YouTube and all of our content is on Cincy Jungle. So check it out and subscribe to our channels how you can.
2: So I was at the Yankees game on Monday. and Monday was Memorial Day. Um, and Memorial Day at Yankee Stadium was like a World Series atmosphere, which I did not expect. There was a long line for Yankee Stadium, and I was utterly shocked that they didn't have a better queue system because it's New York and there's <laughs> millions of people there. But uh yeah, it was Memorial Day weekend and it was a lot of fun, but it got me thinking about you know, the, the the nature of Memorial Day is, is to look back and remember. And Memorial Day has kind of a, has a varying um, perception on it. But I was thinking about, you know, the time to look back in you know, the past 16 years, Marvin Lewis era, but not just about, you know, the players that we all know and love and the, and the teams and the squads that we all know and love, but kind of the guys that don't get remembered that often. You know, the, the guys that were, were there and they had, you know, kind of niche roles and small careers of the team, but, they, they either showed up in, in big moments or they just they, they, every now and then they just make a play and you remember, Hey, this guy's on the team. This, this guy has value. I wish you could play a little bit more. And unfortunately that was another thing with the Marvin era just underutilization of players. But I kind of wanted to ask and you know, everyone in the YouTube chat can chime in as well. Players that you remember liking that were either underrated and didn't really get a big role or maybe, you know, those training camp standouts that, Unfortunately, never really mounted anything because, you know, the touchdown Jesus is. Yes, yes, exactly. The touchdown Jesus is because touchdown Jesus made his name really in training camp and preseason. In training camp, going down to Georgetown training camp, that was always a great. That, those are great memories of mine in, in terms of Bengals fandom, um, just staying overnight and watching those practices. And I just remember, you know, just a couple names that kind of stood out to me. For one, I'll just I'll just start off. Maurice Purify. I don't, ah. think, I don't think a lot of viewers, especially newer fans of the, sh- of, of the team, will remember that name, but Maurice Purify was a receiver, I believe, out of uh, – I want to say Nebraska. I'm not entirely – I think it's Nebraska, but, yeah. yeah. so there you go, Stanley Morgan. So, that's a name to live up to. But Maurice Purify, I, it was like 2009, 2010 training camp. And in Georgetown, they had like the giant bleachers that you could sit up on. You know, Georgetown College was like a, like a D3 score or whatever. Um, but it, it, it was a couple of practices and they were just running like deep go routes, whatever. And I don't know who the quarterback was. I don't think it was Palmer. Cause he, he sure as hell wasn't throwing a Morris purifying drills, but it was just like back to back to back bombs to Maurice purified down the sideline. And he would make these toe drag catches high pointing the ball beautifully. And this is like 13 year old John thinking this guy's like the next Chad Johnson. He, he's he's going to be so good. He's making all these insane high plays in the training camp. And I don't think he did anything in the preseason and <laughs> ended up not making a team. And then I think he – and then I didn't hear about him for, like, five years, and I don't follow the Arena Football League, but he ended up, like, being uh, – playing for the Arizona Rattlers, I think. And, like, the, the seasons are completely different and the scores are completely different with that. But I, like – look. I just randomly saw his name on, like, you know, w- w- whatever news or Arizona Rattlers goes up. I ended up looking at his stats – He had a season where he had like over a hundred or over like 40 touchdowns and like almost like 3000 receiving yards. I'm like, what? This is the same dude. Like, like, those are, those are great numbers for like an average receiver. And he's putting that up in one year. And I'm thinking to myself, I I knew this guy was good before anyone else. And, (laughs) but that is definitely a name that um, I I, I wish ended up being something because I, I think he was talented, but obviously the arena football league is, different than the professional football league, but that was always a name that that, that that stuck with me throughout my fan and that I wish developed into something more. But definitely I remember just in my early days of, 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 of rooting for the team. So so, so who, who, who do you got? Who's a name that kind of sticks down in your mind?
1: So I've, I've got two. Um, and the reason I'm going to say these two is because I actually kind of have some personal oh. connections to them small, small personal connections to them, uh, in little stories. And I'll be brief with it, but personal connections with them after their Bengals career. And these were guys who played in some, on some really, really poor Bengals teams, unfortunately. Um, by the way, I think going back to purify, I think the guys that you probably saw throwing to him would have been like Anthony Wright or Jordan Palmer probably, uh, (laughs) in practice is probably, uh, during that era. But nevertheless, um, I'm going to start with one. And this is a guy, he started his career with the Bengals, went to, I believe he went to Oregon. Um, He played in 92 and 93 with the Bengals, uh, only played in seven total games in those seasons, had four catches with the team, no touchdowns. What he ended up doing, he ended up having a decent career Later on, um, well, okay career, Uh, played for Green Bay for a while, played for Philadelphia, ended up being in the league for 11 years, but he only played his first two with the Bengals. It's Jeff Thomason, he's a tight end. Um, Not a guy that a lot of people remember, but I'm going to say this, I now, well after his football career ended and well after his Bengals career ended, um, I, through my wife, I met you know, kind of some people who are in her group of friends and one of her best friends is married to a guy who is friends with Jeff Thomason's brother. Uh, So, you know, at parties and get togethers and stuff, I just somehow met this guy and it came out that I was a Bengals fan and all this kind of stuff. And, Oh, my brother used to play for him. I was like, who's your brother? And he was surprised that I knew who he was and all that kind of stuff. So, Jeff, I remember Jeff Thomason from before meeting his his brother, who's Randy. um, But now I kind of have struck up a a friendship uh, with Randy Thomason um, because of a lot of different reasons. And I remember Randy actually came and watched the Bengals playoff game with us, uh, with my family, um, against the Chargers a few years back. Uh, And he was there watching it with us and kind of rooting on the Bengals a little bit. So... Um, that's one reason why I remember Jeff Thomason. Um, the other, again, it, the world is, is funny. Uh, the other that I remember, and I remember liking him quite a bit. Uh, and he was, he was, the poor guy was teamed up with Scott Mitchell, uh, <laughs> da- Danny Farmer. Uh, the receiver who was a stud in college at UCLA. He actually, I think, was either drafted or undrafted by uh, the Steelers. They cut him, and the Bengals picked him up with LeBeau and Scott Mitchell and all of that. And I remember Farmer was had a huge game. I think it was against the ja- the Jaguars and or the Steelers um, years ago. I think it was two thousand one and uh, ended up playing pretty well for the team for a couple of years behind, like, Peter Warwick and Ron Dugans, if you remember those names. Um, So he's kind of their third guy. But recently I went to, again, went to a friend's baby shower in L.A., and this guy was kind of asking me weird questions. Are you still doing the Bengals podcast? Are you still? And I'm like, yeah. yeah." (laughs) And it turns out one of the guys in the room was Danny Farmer. Um, and so he was there and he's like, yeah, this is my friend. This is my friend, Anthony. This is my friend, Danny Farmer. I'm like, oh, hi. <laughs> um, so a very, very small world. Um, he ended up being a very nice guy, uh, still pretty big, pretty big dude. Um, and now I guess he's selling insurance or or something to that effect, but he played in the league for a handful of years and with the Bengals for a couple. So, um, those, when we were kind of kicking around this topic beforehand, I, those guys were already on my mind, but now I have a little fun story to share about each of them. That's super random. So those are two guys for me that I can think of.
2: That's cool. I think like if we asked this to a lot of people, they would meet, they would, they would say pass catchers are like cornerbacks. Cause those are like the guys that kind of like make headlines in like preseason and maybe training camp drills. And those are obviously positions that have a lot of depth and sometimes injuries occur. Uh, one more guy that I'll mention. Um, I, I like it was early on when I started watching the Bengals in the beginning of the marvelous era and the, the defense wasn't great, but it was exciting to watch at at times, even though they would give up 30 something points, they would be turnover heavy, I guess. And a lot of that was attributed to the secondary. And I I can mention Medea Williams for this, because I think he's definitely Mm. been underrated in terms of, of, of Bengals history from, especially now that we've had, you know, reggie nelson jesse base co- coming through playing similar position but um delta o'neal was like the leader of that you know 0405 uh, secondary that ended up being ball hawks it, you know they would get burned for 340 yards a game but i think tory james kind of gets lost in in, in the discussion yeah. about that defense because um you know he was it was the tail end of his career he actually played 10 years in the league which is longer than i expected but like it, it was that number two corner right and like you know I, I, I guess back then it you, you could be viewed as like a drake Patrick type where he would just end up getting decent ball production in terms of passive flexions like Kirkpatrick, but he would just end up getting burned a lot and not not being exactly the most reliable open field tackler. But just looking back on his stats, he had a lot more uh, ball production than I remembered. Uh, 2004, when he made the Pro Bowl, he had eight interceptions and 66 return yards, which basically in, in encapsulates like the production of, of that secondary of that era of Bengals defense where they would just be extremely opportune, opportunity and it wasn't just, um, you know, Medeo and Delta, but it was also, you know, Tory James because Delta was still playing at a high level. So quarterbacks would, would sometimes target uh, James, the, the eight year veteran at the time of the 04 and nine year veteran, uh, in 05 where he had five interceptions but in his Bengals career he had 21 interceptions in 64 games which is pretty damn impressive even for like the early 2000s when the league was still you know finding its way to becoming more of, of a passing league so I I, I just feel like he, he should always be like mentioned when, when you're talking about those defenses in in the early Marvin Lewis you know age when you know th- they would give up a ton of yards and there would be a lot of shootout games but there would always be like these these crazy like turnover games where they would just pick off quarterbacks two or three times. And J- James was a part of a lot more than I remember. So de- definitely I feel like it was appropriate for this.
1: Yeah, that, that was a good, he, that was a good free agent pickup early. I think that he came over in 03, right? With when right. First with Marvin, Marvin picked up a lot of veteran guys like him. He picked up Kevin Hardy, the guy that was with the Jaguars for a long time. And I think Kevin Hardy played one or two years with the Bengals and linebacker and he was okay. Uh, but James, yeah, that's a that's a good player. One other guy I just want to quickly mention, um, and I recently kind of had my memory jogged about him thanks to Willie Anderson on Twitter. Um, was uh, offensive lineman Mike Goff, um, and he was a guy uh, who played twelve years in the league. Uh, six of them were with the Bengals, and he played you know three different positions, mostly right guard, but three different positions for the team at a high level, Willie Anderson called him one of the best offensive linemen he has ever played with. Um, he actually gained more notoriety with the Chargers after he left the Bengals in 2004, um, kind of playing a near Pro Bowl level level it with the Chargers, but was a good player for the Bengals for six years, um, was with the Chargers for another five, and then had, had one last year with the Chiefs. But that's a player that, uh, you know, I think was was good uh a good player especially on some bad teams and then got some some more notoriety once he went to a better team so um that's a guy i I, i'm thinking of going to the youtube chat john uh, we asked this question um i mean there's all over the place uh jeff blake um rodney holman john kitna sam adams uh (laughs) Brad St. Louis from, from, from Jason Vaughn's <didn't>, Oh, Jason. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. Steven Wernicke says, then uh, Caddison Riggs, the, the 80s and 90s uh, tight ends there. Um, David Pollock was mentioned. Uh, Literally in memoriam, David Pollock. <laughs> yeah. Kelly Washington, Peter Neefus. That's a yes. great one. yes. That I, is a great one.
2: I can't tell you I remember a specific Kelly Washington touchdown, but I do remember the Kelly
1: Washington dance because yeah, yeah. everybody does. Yeah, it was amazing. But <laughs> you know what's funny about him? Um, and, uh, you know, I, before we, we kind of move on here, but you know what's funny about him uh, is. He was a guy they drafted in 03 in that first draft class. And, uh, God, those first three picks were – I mean, it was Carson, it was Steinbach, and it was Kelly Washington. So three really good picks. And Kelly Washington, if especially if you look at the stats in 03, 04, and even a little bit in 05, he, he put up some numbers. The problem yeah. was is, you know, the Bengals drafted Chris Henry in 05, and, uh, you know, they just couldn't keep him off the field. They already had Chad and then Hushman Zada started, you know uh, – Becoming one of the best slot guys in the league, so you know you have those four guys. So Washington kind of fell down the pecking order quite a bit, but he was a guy that had some talent, man, and some good size. Um, just a guy, so I, yeah. But I mean, of course, the most thing he's known for is the Squirrel Dance. So good one, um, good one from from Peter. There, any any uh, any others you can think of before we before we move on?
2: And UTech. I think. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like the, like you, you, you mentioned, you mentioned a tight end earlier and like tight end was such a, like a, it was so hard for the Bengals to find one. Like they had Matt Schilwell for some years, but even still, so, I guess he was at best average and they tried with Gresham, but before that was, was a Utech. And I, I, I feel like they almost had something with him. Unfortunately, um, um it, in, injuries kind of, kind of derailed that career career. But I just remember just in that 09 season, I think when, when they were undefeated in the division, he just had a couple of good games, or just had a couple of good plays per home game. Because so I I went to all those home games, I just remember him just making an impact, and for for a guy in his position, just trying to make you know a name for himself. That that was basically all you could ask for. And I think he was talented, and unfortunately, like with a lot of Bengals players, just injuries kind of kind of derailed his career.
1: Yeah, and unfortunately, they were like concussions; they were bad ones. Um, and you know, it's funny, you know. Today it's about the pass catching tight ends and, and all of that stuff. You know, the Bengals then they had the the inline blocker and, and you know in Reggie Kelly, and then they had the pass catching guy in Ben Utech And you really thought, you know, this is this is a good little combo that they're building there for Carson Palmer. And unfortunately UTEC just didn't pan out. But that was yeah, and, and gosh, both those guys Seemingly could have been pastors or something. Reggie Kelly; <laughs> those were two, two locker room leaders and uh, very religious guys. But seems kind of cool that Ben Utech, he, uh, you know, they caught up with him after. And he's kind of made a career for himself, I think, as a singer and as a Christian musician, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, at least he's moved on and, you know, done some other cool stuff. But, uh, you know, yeah, that, that, was, that was a signing, I think, a lot of – because he had some good numbers, I think, with Peyton Manning. Yeah. Right. Uh, and, and a lot of people were kind of excited about that. And unfortunately it just never, never came to fruition, but uh, it's, it's good to remember some of these guys uh, you know, they everybody remembers the stars of the team, but you know, these role players are little guys that, you know, you kind of get lost in the shuffle, especially as years go by. It's, it's good to remember them mm. after, as we come off of Memorial day. <laughs> any final thoughts before we get out of here, John, we're, we're uh, running up against it. um, But it's been a good show.
2: Uh, Yeah, yeah, it has. Um, Can't wait for the listener questions on Friday. And um, unfortunately, I think we just had the second open OTA practice. And I think we have like mini camp, like the second week of June, and then we are officially in the dead season. So definitely hit hit us up with topic ideas. We're, we're, We're trying to generate some more, more content here. So if you have any ideas we want to talk about, well, there's no real news to report, definitely hit us up and we'll, we'll try to see if we can get it on.
1: Yeah. We're, we've uh, kicked around a number of ideas so far and um, you know, we're going to try things out. Uh, you know, I think the, the standalone listener question thing is one, you know, obviously we're going to um, we're going to try and do some fantasy football stuff uh, I think a lot of people appreciate that. So we'll try and do that. Uh, we'll do kind of your, our, our news update type of thing. And then, um, you know, who knows? We may, may do some film analysis or, you know, however that may work out. We're kind of kicking around some things. But if you have some things you would like to see from us, get in touch with the program, how you can. Um, let us know. And, uh, you know, if it makes sense and uh, we hear enough demand for it, we're, we're open to it as long as we don't sound like complete morons doing it. So, <laughs> um, but Hey, you know, this is, this is your guys' show and, uh, you know, we, we get to sit here and chat about some things, but this is, uh, a, you know, a listener driven show and we appreciate that. Like I said, we're going to be doing, uh, the live broadcast Friday afternoon. We'll, we'll get you the time, uh, you know, for now kind of maybe plan on, um, I don't know, John, what do you think about three thirty ish? that works Eastern Eastern four or something like that. I don't know. Um, it'll be short, but, uh, we've already got some questions queued up. And like I said, you can, you can call or text, uh, nine, four, nine, five, four, two, six, two, four, one throughout the week or on that live recording. We'll be taking calls then. Um, you can, uh, we'll, we'll kind of be scouring the YouTube and other channels for co- questions and comments. You can email us, theobinsider at gmail.com. Tweet us at banglesobi or John underscore underscore Sheeran. And uh, yeah, we're, we're excited to kick that off. And you can get this show, as I mentioned, throughout the program. You can get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Google Play. You can get it on the Megaphone platform as well as on YouTube. And all of our content is on cincyjungle.com. That's going to do it for us tonight. And I don't want to say this week, but for this specific episode, it's going to do it for us. Thanks for all of your support, your comments. And for those who tuned in live, thanks for downloading the program. In case you are able to join us live. Like I said, we're now going to have a lot of different live broadcasts for different episodes and things we're doing. So hopefully you can catch us at some point. We'll be sure to get you the times and slates of all the things we're doing. So, uh, stay tuned. Thanks, John. I'm glad you had fun in New York, buddy. And thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time. This is the Orange and Black Insider.